many of you remember as a kid that birthday or Christmas that you were really hoping for that one gift? That one thing that you really, really wanted. I bet you have that one birthday or Christmas you can still think back to. For me, it was my 10th birthday. I was in the third grade, and more than anything, I wanted a new bike. All my friends had bikes with gears. They all had mountain bikes or bikes that went faster, and I still had an old BMX bike. And more than anything, I wanted a new bike. And so my birthday came, and I hoped, and I prayed, and I begged, and I told everybody that I wanted a new bike. My birthday came, and I got a Nintendo, like the original, because I'm old, right? So it had Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers, and I remember opening it, and I was like, oh, that's nice. What I hoped for was a bike. And so I remember going and talking to my mom, and I was like, can I return this? Like, is that allowed? And so that's what I did. I returned the Nintendo, never opened it, never touched the controllers, never played it, took it right back to where it was bought, got the money, and went and bought my bike. See, we all hope for something. Or at some point, you have hoped that something would happen. I mean, the whole world, we're surrounded by hope. We teach our kids to hope, right? Every year on their birthday, what do we say? Now make a wish before you blow out your candles, but don't tell anybody the wish or it won't come true, right? That's our hope. And those kids sit there and none of us ever know what they're thinking because they're really good about it because what they really want, they're not gonna tell you because they might get it if they don't tell. Or maybe it's at Thanksgiving or Christmas. We hope as we pull the wishbone out of the turkey and we pull it to see who's gonna get the bigger half. Does anybody else ever wonder what the wishbone what good that did for the turkey. Uh, Maybe it's just my ramblings. Hope, this idea that there's something better out there, this idea that there's something else we could have, something that we want, something that's gonna meet our needs and desires. But I think we live in a world where hope kind of sits on one side of the scale and Doubt sits on the other. And we're pulled, we live in this tension between hoping that this thing will happen and doubting that it will ever actually happen. Now, it's one thing if you're a 10-year-old and you hope you get a bike and it doesn't happen, that's, you know, there's not a lot of tension there. But if you're hoping that a relationship would be restored, that forgiveness could be given, that new opportunities could be real. And you begin to doubt if that can happen. That has lasting impact in the way we live our lives. Or if you're hoping that that diagnosis doesn't come, that when you go to the doctor, they don't say the words you're, you're afraid they're gonna say, But every night as you lay your head down on your pillow, you have some doubts. And we live in this tension, this tension of hoping that God is going to show up and do what God said he'd do. But then sometimes doubting, sometimes asking questions. God, are you real? 
God, are you hearing my prayer or am I sitting in a room talking to myself? We live between hope and doubt. And if you're here today or you're listening online and you're you're like, I'm just here to kind of check this thing out. I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if any of this is true. I don't know if Jesus is real. First of all, I want to say I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're listening. But secondly, I want to challenge you. Because I think sometimes we think that only Christians are the people who live with this doubt. But I think doubt is part of being human. And so if you're here and you're like, I don't really buy this God thing, or you're listening online and you're like, I don't really buy this whole God thing, I would venture to say you have doubts about those beliefs too. Maybe it happened that day that you were out on a hike and the sun set right behind the mountains and you began to think, what, what if I'm not? in this universe alone? What if there really is a creator? Or maybe for you, if you're like, I'm not sure this whole Jesus thing is real, maybe when you saw your child born, for a moment, there was doubt that there wasn't a higher power, that there wasn't a God See, I think hope and doubt are the tension that every one of us live in because we're human. Not because we follow Jesus or we don't follow Jesus, but because we're human beings. Each of us live in this tension of hope and doubt. We've been in this Benefit of the Doubt series for six weeks now. And I hope as you've been here and you've listened to this series that you've heard that Calvary's a place where you can belong before you believe. It's a place where you don't have to have all your questions answered before you join, before you come here and feel welcome, before you feel like this is a place where you fit. I hope maybe you've also heard that doubt's okay here. It's normal to ask questions. We all are asking questions. We're all struggling through this life. I hope you've found that we're a place that is willing to die for our core beliefs, that's going to hold to those things that are core, but everything else we want to discuss. And if you're wondering, I wonder what those core beliefs are, you can find them on our website, and you don't get to add two. They're like no one, whether you call this place home or not. These are our core beliefs. This is what we're dying for. Last week, you heard Pastor Zach preach, and he talked about what happens when an all-loving, all-powerful God is what we believe in, but bad stuff still happens because we want to talk about the hard stuff, the stuff that's challenging, the stuff that doesn't make us feel real comfortable, the stuff that makes us actually ask some questions. And tonight, I want to talk to you about a hope that provides for a better future, a hope that can actually change the way we look at life. So that when the dark clouds roll in, when the storms of life come, when the struggles and trials of life hit, we realize we're, we're not alone. We have hope. We can have hope. And I want you to pause as we begin to think about that. And I want you to just look to your right.
I want you to look to your left. And after 19 years of doing ministry, I firmly believe that two out of the three people you just looked at, the two you looked at in yourself, are in the middle of a storm of life right now. And so as we dig into this idea of hope, I understand that this can be hard because some of you are in the middle of a storm right now and you're like, Jason, I don't know if there is hope. I don't know if there is a way out of this storm. I've begun to wonder if God is actually going to show up in this, if he's still listening. And if you're not in that storm, if you're the one out of the three that's in your little circle you looked at, the other two people need you. So as we dig into this tonight, I, I dig into it carefully because I think hope can be very, very dangerous. We can say it really tritely. We can say it in ways that don't meet people where they are in the middle of their pain. And I want you to know, I hope huh, that what you hear tonight is a truth about a God who loves you and who wants to give real answers to life's real problems, not just glaze over them and act like nothing's wrong. So here's the bottom line. I tell you this every time. You can check out after you hear this. This is the only thing that matters. Hope is what allows us to live by faith in life's darkest times. Hope is what will allow you and I to live by faith in life's darkest times. If you've got your Bible or your phone and you want to follow along, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 4. That's kind of where we're going to jump in in just a minute. But I think there's two kinds of hope. There's a hope that puts its faith, there's a hope that hopes in something, and there's a hope that hopes in someone. So something or someone. What do I mean by that? Confessions. I'm a little bit of a fantasy football Maybe you could say addicts. My wife might say addict. I spend a lot of time reading my ESPN reports and looking at the waiver wires and listening to what all the analysts say about this dumb game that I'm not even playing, right? Like, there's some, there's some hope that we put in fantasy football. I have hope that Stefan Diggs is actually going to play well this weekend, Right, I know all the Vikings fans can applaud. That's a big statement coming from me. Uh, I have hope that he's going to play well because I've kept him on the bench for about six weeks now and I finally put him in my starting lineup so I have hope that he's going to play well. And I think sports is where we see where we put our hope, right? You're, some of you are Vikings fans and you're hoping that Kirk Cousins can actually get the ball to digs, that the line can actually block, and that these things will actually happen. Some of you in the room are Packers fans, and you're hoping that none of that stuff happens, but that your season continues just the way it started, even though you're kind of surprising everybody in the league, right? And I'm a Vikings, or I'm a Saints fan, so I'm hoping that Drew Brees' thumb really is better, and we can get into the playoffs without Teddy Bridgewater being our quarterback. Right? So we put hope in things. And you can be like, that's really silly. I don't like sports. I don't even know what you're talking about. But we put hope in things. And when we put our hope in things, whether that thing is that next job promotion or that new job we've applied for 
or the diagnosis that we're hoping doesn't come. We're putting hope in the medicine that we're taking that it's going to make us feel better. We're putting hope in a relationship that it'll be what we need to get through life. Every time we put our hope in a thing, it will let us down. Let me show you what I mean by that. And this is not just for Vikings fans. Like, our hope in all things will let us down. But I know Vikings fans know that especially. The Israelites are in a war, right? They're, getting, they're in a war with the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to look at 4, 5, and 6. I'm not going to read it all, but kind of summarize it. You can follow along if you want to check, fact check me. They're in a war with the Philistines. They go out. They get, they get beat is what happens. And they come back and they're like, what happened? I thought we were God's chosen people. How could God let the Philistines beat us? That doesn't seem right. So they come up with this idea. They have this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is like a box. It's got a couple angels sitting on top of it. Inside there is manna. So if you're not familiar with the Old Testament story, manna is the bread that God provided for the Israelites when he freed them from slavery out of Egypt and they didn't have anything to eat. And they were like, we have nothing to eat. We want to go back to Egypt. And God said, okay. And they woke up every day and there was bread on the ground, like pretty sweet. I'd like to go out and find bread on my front yard every day and just be able to eat that. That'd be awesome. And so they put some of that in there. So they'd remembered that. They put the 10 commandments in there that Moses received from Mount Sinai the second time after he broke the first ones. They put that in there and they carried this with them everywhere they went and they kind of saw that as they were carrying God in a box. So they didn't pray about it. They didn't ask God what he thought. They took, they said, if we lost yesterday, we'll take God in a box into battle and then we'll beat the Philistines. So they take their box God, set him in the middle of the battlefield and you can kind of know where this is gonna go, right? They go out to fight the Philistines the Philistines beat them again, and this time somebody forgot to grab God in a box as they ran off the battlefield, and the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it back to their town. And the Israelites are now defeated, and they feel like their God is gone. And what are they going to do? You see, God in a box is not really God. It's just a box. It's a thing. When we put our hope in things, they're going to let us down. But that's not where our hope is. As followers of Jesus, as people who call ourselves Christians, as people who are listening and thinking, do I want to follow this Jesus? To follow Jesus is to say, my hope is not in a thing. My hope is in a someone. My hope is in a God. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is secured because of who Jesus is. And this God that we put our hope in is two things. First, he's the God of day three or God of the third day. So if day one, the Israelites lose the battle, the God, the ark goes to the Philistines. Day two, the Philistines wake up, their priests walk into the temple 
And they look in the corner and there's their God, Dagon, laying face down in front of the ark. And the priests are like, oh, we don't know how that happened and we can't let anybody see that. So they run over, they set it back up, pretend like nothing happens. But day two for the Israelites is really quiet. There's no movement. There's no action. There's nothing happening. God's silent. Day two ends. Day three starts. Philistine priests walk into the temple. God is face down. Dagon is face down in front of the ark. But this time, he's not still in one piece. His, the idol, this Dagon idol, his head has broken off and his hands are broken off and they are sitting by the door. Now the Bible gives no explanation of how this happened other than the Philistine God is bowed and broken before the God of Israel, before the Ark of the Covenant. And it's day three. And in day three, not only does the idol break beyond repair so everybody knows uh, there's something going on here. This God's a real God. This God's bigger than our God. Then maybe one of the funniest things in all of Scripture happens. So the Philistines are these great warriors. They have these great weapons. They've destroyed the Israelites for so many days. And I, this is proof that God has a sense of humor. I don't know how to tell you this any differently. So just bear with me. It's in the Bible. You can read it. Uh, there were mice involved in God's response, but the Philistines also were, well, God gave them hemorrhoids. That's essentially what scripture says. Like, I'm not just, don't be like, oh, that's the youth pastor. He's trying to be funny. No, God gave them tumors in their intimate places. That's where hemorrhoids come. That's what he gave them. And so these massive enemy of Israel, the people who are destroying Israel with these iron Iron uh, weapons in this Iron Age are really hoping for the age of the inflatable seat cushion. That's what they're hoping for. And that's the way God shows up. And they are like, oh my gosh, this is awful. We take that thing back. It broke our God. We have mice everywhere and we have hemorrhoids. Take that thing back to Israel. And God on the third day is returned to his people Our God, the God we worship, the God we put our hope in is a God of the third day. No clearer is this scene than in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On the first day, God, his son, gives his life, is humiliated, tortured, and dies on a cross to pay for your sin and my sin, to pay for the things we've done to mess everything up, to pay for the ways we've disobeyed God and we can't. Day two, the, the stone stays over the tomb and God is silent. The darkness deepens. There's no hope. The disciples disperse. The people who follow Jesus don't know what's happening. 
But this God is not a God of day two. He's a God of day three. And in day three, Jesus walks out, rolls the stone away, comes back to life, defeats death, and gives us the chance to have eternal life. Gives us the chance to know that this life, this storm, this trial that we're in the middle of right now is not all there is. This God came out of the grave. This God came out and gives us hope. Hope for a brighter tomorrow. Hope for an end to our pain and suffering. But this is not just a God of day three. This is a God who came to us on day three as a minister. He's not just the God of day three. He's the God who comes to us on day three as a minister. I think we miss this. Some of you were here a couple weeks ago when I told you about my friend who just lost his 19-year-old son. The God we worship knows what it's like to lose his son. The God we worship knows what it's like to watch his son die. And it's because of that, because this God has seen that, because this God came and lived among us, he watched his friend die. Another three-day story. On the third day, Jesus showed up and brought Lazarus back to life. Because he was there when they hurt, because he was there when they said goodbye. This is a God who understands, who comes to us in our deepest pain and says, I get it. Let me help. He meets us in the middle of our storm. This God that we follow, this God that we believe in, is not a God who created and walked away. He's a God who loves his kids. He's a God who walks into our storm and says, I want to be here. It's why I sent my son. It's why I came to earth and died. Because I don't want you to ever be alone in your storm. That's his promise. That's truth. The problem is, we live in a day two world. We're not to day three yet. And some of you are wondering if day two is ever gonna end. God, is this trial ever gonna end? God, is this sickness ever gonna end? God, is my marriage ever going to be healthy again? God, is there an end to this storm? And I think at some point or another, all of us have been there. We've been in the middle of that storm and we wondered, God, is it ever going to stop? So how do we live in a way that helps us keep hope that day three is coming. Because day three is coming. Sometimes the storm gets so deep and so hard and so rough 
it's hard to keep hope that day three is coming on day two. So I have three things I want to talk about what it means to live in a day two world and how we're to do it as followers of Christ. First thing we do, we do it by watching and by waiting. We live in a day two world by watching and waiting. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalm 130. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Maybe the hardest thing to do when you're in the middle of day two is to watch and wait to see what God's going to do. Our ability to watch and wait as followers of Christ is based on our belief that God is actively involved in our lives and in this place. Our waiting and watching means we go about our daily business, hoping that God will be true to the promises of his word. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, says it this way, it is willingness to let God do his way and in his time. We live in a day two world, watching and waiting to see where God's going to show up, to see what it's going to look like when God shows up on day three, hoping that he will. We live in a day two world in relationship. Listen to the words of Ephesians Chapter one, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. We live in a day two world in a relationship with a God who says, I want you to be part of my family. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. I want you in my family. Now, as a dad, I want my kids to know that no matter what, I want them to come to me. You see, I think this might be one of the hardest things for us to do. In the midst of our storm, we believe God is quiet. We believe God of the third day is not present in the second day. And so we want to, in our own nature, turn around and walk away from that God and just be done. I think one of the best things you can do if you're in the middle of day two and that storm doesn't look like it's going to end is go pray angry prayers to God. Because you're angry, 
You're angry you're in the middle of the storm. I'm angry I'm in the middle of the storm. Why, God, am I here? Why, God, am I going through this? Why, God, am I struggling? And then we go to God and we go, dear Heavenly Father, thank you. You're not thankful. I'm not thankful. God knows that. In case you forgot, he knows that. Go be honest with God. Go yell at God. Go cry at God. Go scream at God. That's what a relationship's about. When we feel like something's not right with a friend, we don't hold back. We don't go, oh, you know, that $1,000 I owed you that you haven't paid me back, it's not that big a deal. Maybe some of you do. You're better people than I am. I want to know where my $1,000 is. I'm going to go ask for that $1,000 back. But with God, we want to look at it differently. God, I don't know what's going on. That's not how you feel. Be honest. Be in relationship with that God. And not only with that God, but be in relationship with other people. You see, in the middle of day two, sometimes you're going to lose hope. Sometimes in the middle of day two, you're going to lose hope. Sometimes in the middle of my day twos, I've lost hope. But I need somebody to come alongside of me. You need someone to come alongside of you and remember that God is going to be faithful to his promises, that God has been faithful in the past and that he will be faithful in the future. And I can look back to every storm, every day two in my life, and I can say, you know what, if it wasn't for that person, if it wasn't in the middle of my parents' divorce, if it wasn't for Larry and Rick, I don't know if I'd be here today. When I was 16 years old and I was done with the church because it was full of hypocrites and politics and everything else that I didn't want anything to do with, if it wasn't for Dave Freshour, I sure as heck wouldn't work in a church today. In 2007, when I stepped out of ministry, if it wasn't for Mike Neer and Lockwood Hill, I wouldn't still be here today. When Corey and I battled infertility, if it wasn't for Paul Seidel and Stephanie and Jason and Casey, I don't know if I'd have got through that storm. Who is it who you need walking alongside of you? Who in the middle of your storm when hope is hard, you need them to walk alongside you and say, hey, I gotcha. Put your arm on my shoulder. Grab my, let me grab you around the waist and let me help carry you through this. You see, we live in a society that thinks we can do this on our own. Just go fight. Just go do it on your own. Social media makes it even worse because we look at everybody else's life and theirs looks perfect. But we're in the middle of day two and day two's awful. The truth is we need friends and family around us to remind us that we've got hope. That God is a God of hope. That God's a God of the third day and he's gonna show up. And the last thing we need, we need to remember our assurance. And maybe the most important thing, listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 
That is why we never give up. Through our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can now see, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Listen to Jesus' words as he hung on the cross and the thief looked at him and said, I believe, and Jesus said, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' resurrection, the fact that on the third day Jesus walked out of the tomb assures us that we have hope and that what God has promised will happen. Hope without assurance Simply wishing. Go throw your quarter in the fountain at the park. Blow out your birthday candles. There's no assurance that those things are going to happen. God says, you can hope in me because my son got off the cross, because my son walked out of the tomb. We can rest assured that as followers of Christ, we're not wishing for a brighter future. We're not have a pipe dream that this is going to end. God's word tells us because Jesus came out of the tomb, we have a hope. And if you wonder, did he really come out of the tomb? Listen to Paul's words. Just as, the, just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most of whom are still alive today. Paul says, this is real. This happened. 500 people saw him. That's like this bottom area of this room filled. Because of that, because Jesus rose from the dead, because Jesus walked out of the tomb, our hope is not wishing. It's assured. John says this to mark our assurance in Revelation 21, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. This is what we hope for. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one standing on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Our assurance is not empty wishing. It's not a pipe dream. Our hope is guaranteed. It's real. It's true. We have nothing to fear. Tim Keller says, all death can do now to Christians is make life infinitely better. That's what the assurance of our faith does. Real hope, hope that lasts, hope that will get you through life's deepest and darkest trials is only found in Jesus. Hope allows us to live by faith in life's darkest times. Hope in someone, not something. Hope in the God of day three. Hope in the God who comes as a minister. Hope that no matter how long day two lasts, day three is coming. So 
I don't know where you're at tonight. If you're in the middle of the storm and you're wondering, is this all real? If you're here and trying to figure out who Jesus is. So as you walk out of here tonight, I want you to be thinking about, is this a God I can put my hope in? If you've never done that tonight and you're here, you've never put your hope in Jesus, don't leave here without doing that. We'll come right back to how you can do that in just a minute. But if you're here and you've never been baptized, you've never said, hey, you know what? I put my hope in Jesus, but I didn't tell anybody about it. I kept it real quiet. I didn't grow up in a church. I put my hope in Jesus at 40, so I couldn't be baptized. We want to invite you to be a part of Baptism Sunday where you get to stand here and say, listen, I want to follow Jesus. I put my hope in him for all things. And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, both of those are way too big a steps for me. I'm not there yet. Jason, I wish I could be, but I'm not. That's okay. Maybe the best thing you can do is let somebody know I'm in the middle of day two and I need some help. Would you walk with me through day two? Who's that person you know who would willingly wrap their arm around you, love you and carry you through and be the hope that you can't be right now? Or who do you know who's hurting and you need to go be their hope? Would you pray with me? If you're here and you've never put your hope in Jesus, I want you to repeat these words after me silently in your seat. Lord Jesus, for too long, I've kept you out of my life. I know that I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I need you to be my source of hope in the midst of life's storms. By faith, I receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Amen. God, we thank you that you are the God of the third day, that you are the God who comes to us. And God, I pray that as, follower, as your followers, we would go out to be the hope for a world that needs hope. God, give us strength to hold on when it seems like day three is never coming. God, thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, we're going to put a number up on the screen and we just ask that you would text I believe to 94090. We're not going to spam you with a bunch of phone calls or text messages, but we just want to be able to be in contact with you. You'll get a follow-up email from us. We want to walk with you as you figure out what it means to have hope. Thank you.